Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. I'm so excited today to have Wong Tron, who is a certified hand therapist and occupational therapist to help us understand some hand therapy secrets everyone with arthritis should know. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah. And I would love to hear just a quick intro, like where do you live and what is your relationship to arthritis relationship in this sense being very broadly defined as yes. maybe experiences yes. you've had with people with arthritis? Yeah. Perfect. Well, uh, again, my name is Huang and I really appreciate you having me on this, on your podcast, Cheryl, because for a long time, I've been talking about how I feel like we need to get more uh, information out to the people who in the world that have arthritis. And I have a clinic, my clinic is Hands-On Therapy Services in Miami. And I specialize in helping people with hand, wrist, elbow, shoulder uh, types of injuries. And my relationship to arthritis is really just the experience I've had over the last over 20 years working in hand and upper extremity rehab, working with people with various types of arthritis and, arth and rheumatoid arthritis being one of the one of the worst types that we experience as a therapist, you know, in helping those types of uh, those people with that type of um, diagnosis and the the different injuries or complexities that they have, you know, when it comes to rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, I'm constantly surprised how when I bring up to a patient, um, whether it's just on social media, casually, I'll say, Hey, have you seen, has your doctor referred you or have you seen a certified hand therapist? And 
even if someone's like, the reason that I bring that up is because they've said, like, let's say on social media, hey, does anyone know any tips or tricks for, you know, I'm a professional artist and I want to modify how I'm doing things because it's hurting my hand, holding the paintbrush. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like what why hand therapists exist, right? Is to help people make little gadgets and tools. And, and anyway, so I'm going off on a tangent already. But yeah, it's really, to put it in summary, you know, I think hand therapists are grossly underutilized. Right. In in chronic conditions in general, because with an acute injury, right, someone like gets in a motorcycle accident, their hand is all torn up and messed up. Of course, they're going to be, you know, they're hospitalized and they get yeah. a series of therapy. But um, yeah. but with chronic, like I guess, yeah, okay, I'm already going off my script, there's, but yeah, there's a what sense of there's a sense of urgency, right? Yes. So there's a sense of urgency when you have an accident saw accidents, I fell and I broke something, I cut something, you are bleeding. So mm -hmm. there's a sense of urgency that you must get something done to save your hand, save your life, um, not get it, have it get worse. So when you have an accident, there's a sense of urgency. And so it's a very small population of people who essentially have that at some point in their life. And everyone is laser focused on that. Um, and there's so many resources, so many topics around it. And it's just because there's a certain amount of sensationalism around it. Like, oh my God, you're bleeding. We've got to save your life. We've got to help you. Chronic illnesses are largely unseen. Would you say that to be true? You mean unseen, like in terms of the unseen by medical practitioners or unseen right. by Un the world? Yeah. Yeah. Unseen both, by I guess. both. Unseen yes. by both. Like, yeah. If you cut yourself, you see blood. Mm -hmm. If you have rheumatoid arthritis, that is your, oh, yeah. invisible... your information to keep, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So until, of course, you start to have deformities, until you start to have flare-ups and your knuckles turn red and they get swollen mm -hmm. and you lose motion, then nobody sees that, right? It's, yeah. So rheumatoid arthritis and various types of arthritis are, are chronic injury or chronic uh, processes like that are largely unseen. And they're given the word chronic for a reason, because mm -hmm. you can get diagnosed and you have to deal with that from an emotional standpoint. Yeah. Right. You have to deal with that from an emotional standpoint. There's changes that you have to make in your life right? There's that mental, emotional um, issues that you have to deal with. As a therapist, as an occupational therapist, certified hand therapist, majority of the time, we see them once they've been living with it for so long. Yeah. We see them once they've had surgery, multiple surgeries. We see them when they already have the deformities have set in. And they're just not really sure what they can do about it. And mm -hmm. I was hoping to come on to your podcast to talk about what sometimes people can do beforehand. Exactly. And that's, it's this tragic situation. Cause I think the majority of people I interact with, at least, you know, again, a lot of it's social media, a lot of it's through my support groups. Yeah. They're, they're ready and raring. Like, just tell me what I can do to proactively manage this. 
Um, so there's like a disconnect between the referring of patients, you know, to hand therapists, but let's take, before we delve into the things, the, the nuggets of wisdom, just in case people listening don't know what, um, what is a certified hand therapist or what, yeah. How do you define that? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for asking that question. Well, certified hand therapist can be either an occupational therapist or a physical therapist. And certified hand therapists have to have so many years of experience treating hand types of injuries, like hand and arm types of injuries. They have to have a minimum of currently right now, they have to have a minimum of three years Mm -hmm. as an experienced therapist. They cannot be an assistant. They can't be a massage therapist. They have to have the designation occupational therapy or certified hand therapy. Um, they have to have a minimum of 4,000 hours in working with people with hand and arm types of injuries. And they have to then pass the national board certification, which is extremely hard. It runs about 60% uh, pass, 40% fail. In some years it's 50-50. So there's only in the whole world probably about roughly 8,000, either a little bit less or a little bit more, I can't remember, uh, 8,000 certified hand therapists, majority of them being in the United States. Yeah. And the majority, last time I checked, at least for the statistics, the majority are occupational therapists, but physical therapists can also specialize. Yes. Majority of them are occupational therapists, but yes, some of them are um, physical therapists, but Really, at the end of the day, when you're looking for a certified hand therapist, I think in the chronic community that we're talking about, I think that it comes down to you as the person looking for the therapist, looking for Mm. the specialty. A lot of times we live in, we live in a very hierarchy medical world where doctors are the gatekeepers and before the doctors the insurances are the gatekeepers and so coming from a private practice that i uh started over 10 years ago and i run we uh we work in a very particular way but depending on your state you may not need a prescription you may not require the prescription right so yeah, you from a yourself, physician yeah yeah from a physician you yourself as a person who's in pain, who's limited in motion, limited in ability to function in your life, you yourself can seek out a specialist, can Mm -hmm. seek out a therapist that can help you. Now, if your state does require the prescription, you seek them out still anyway, Mm -hmm. and then go to your doctor. And you can go to any doctor. You don't have to just go to a rheumatologist. You don't have to just go to an orthopedic. You can go to your primary care right? But you have to be a lot more proactive and say, I have pain. I am losing my motion. I no longer can clasp my bra, undo my buttons, open a jar, open the door. My shoulder hurts. I can't sleep. I can't do those things. So I need to be proactive and say, well, you know, let me see if I can find a therapist. Let me see if I you know, a lot of times people think of the doctors first because we all grew up going to the doctors. I mean, the minute you're born, you have a baby, I have a baby. Mm-hmm. The minute mm-hmm. they're born, doctors, 
which doctor are you taking them to? So in our brain, in our society, we're accustomed to going to doctors. But if we keep in mind that, you know, doctors are human beings too, mm -hmm. that they don't know everybody. Right. <laughs> They're not right. super social all the time. They don't know everybody. So if you're not getting the help or the advice that you're seeking, I would encourage you to look, keep yeah. looking. Another thing I would just add to that is that no, no daily living challenge is too small to be addressed by an occupational therapist in general and, or a certified hand therapist who has more expertise yeah. again in the hand, because yeah. a lot of times people will say to me, oh, well, it's maybe it seems trivial to say, well, I just, I, I'd love to be able to turn the pages in the children's book when I read it to my daughter or granddaughter or, yeah. you know, or in, I'm a teacher and it's hard for me to hold the chalk, you know, on yeah. the chalkboard and that's old school of me, but now yeah. everyone has the smart board, but you know, the, it's hard to hold the stylus. And you, yeah. I think the the magic words, if you are going to be talking to your doctor about it, and I do recommend people talk to the doctors, just, especially to say like, um, I'm having a problems with these specific areas of daily living. Do you have any occupational therapists or certified hand therapists you recommend? Cause sometimes they have one that they right. know is good with your condition. Right. But, um, and then go back to them afterwards and you can explain like one of the, yeah. the students in my, I'm calling her a student, but in my room to thrive program, she is a professional artist. She's the one I was alluding to earlier, but she yeah. was just blown away by all the tips and tools that her hand therapist gave her. And she, I was like, make sure to tell your doctor that so that they remember what, right. you know, to refer anyway. Yeah. So. And I, I agree with you in the sense that if you have a chronic issue, you're going to your doctor anyway. It doesn't hurt you to ask them, but don't be surprised if they don't know. I work. Oh, yeah. here. I have been here for over 20 years in the same community. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's tons of rheumatologists that don't know other therapists or believe it or not, don't see the value. Well, yeah, I've had a rheumatologist tell me, oh, well, we don't really need to refer to OT or CHTs, CHTs short for certified hand therapist anymore because the medications are so good. I was like, right, but the re current research shows that 70% of patients do really well on the current meds that 30% don't. So that's of 1.3 million adults in the US who have rheumatoid arthritis. That's like- yeah. 300, 400,000 people. Are you going to say, yeah. oh, well, just because the majority are doing yeah. well, um, yeah. it's really short-sighted to not give people. Obviously, we're both completely unbiased because we're both occupational therapists. <laughs> yeah, but, you're right. You're right. So well, many this people. Is, yeah. This is the awareness part, right? We yes. get to bring yes. the awareness to because there are people who um, would like to just know about options, but you know, I also think that the options are explored explored when there's an episode. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I have someone currently that I'm working with. She knew she had it. She made the changes. She, you know, and she, until she had an episode that really messed up her hands and her arms, she really didn't think anything of it. And mm -hmm. I believe her you know, her therapist, her doctor may have sent her to a therapist or she looked at, she looked them up on her own and sought different therapy services. And 
certain ones didn't help. And so after going to several different therapists, she found mm -hmm. us. Right. And, you know, she's got a slew of issues. And one of the things that I always do is it's not just the current problems that you have. Mm -hmm. Let's keep in mind the potential future problems that can come down the road because with rheumatoid arthritis when you start getting certain degenerative changes it falls into a very particular pattern and we have to have a certain amount of foresight to anticipate those problems we can't always stop them but we can certainly slow them down mm -hmm, and we mm -hmm. could uh, teach you red flags to look for yeah yeah, that's well said. Yeah, so let's jump into them. Like what in general, what are some of the top things you think people with, you know, um, I mean, arthritis is an umbrella term for over a hundred conditions, you know, it just yeah. means joint inflammation, which can be caused by lots of different things. But, um, you know, this, the purpose of this podcast is uh, really more on the inflammatory arthritis side, but right. some, there's like a Venn diagram that overlaps, right? Some of the things for joint protection for osteoarthritis are, the same for rheumatoid right. or psoriatic, but yeah, what, what are some of the things that you find are like kind of the greatest hits of, uh, ways people can take better care of their hands? Well, one of the best things that you could do is get early treatment, right? Mm -hmm. And we can say that all day until we're blue in the face, but again, the sense of urgency needs to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, when you're red and inflamed and really painful, that's not necessarily the best time to get it because mm -hmm. you're red and inflamed. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but once as that starts to fade, then the best time to get therapy is right as that starts to fade out, because what you want to learn is what you need to do with the residual edema that's mm -hmm. left. And what is edema? Edema what? is when you're swollen mm -hmm. and you see like there's like some, sometimes uh, the most common places it happens in the back of the wrist, on the back of the knuckles. And that's the swelling that can be the puffiness that's there. Mm -hmm. um, it can feel kind of um, soft and squishy, mm -hmm. or it could feel a little bit firmer and dense. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it doesn't. It really depends on the person. But the, the swelling that remains from a flare-up can cause a lot of different problems uh, that cause tendon ruptures. So the mm. tendons are the back of your wrist, open your fingers mm -hmm. and left ignored sometimes can rupture over time, like kind of um, deteriorate the tendon. And once they rupture, you can't open your fingers anymore. Yeah. Once that happens, you require surgery. Mm -hmm. A lot of people want to avoid surgery. <laughs> sometimes they won't. Yeah. I would imagine majority of people want to avoid surgery. Um, and one of the reasons why you want to take care of certain things early, because you just don't have the luxury of waiting, mm -hmm. is that when you treat it early, your, your tendons have better, uh, let's say the tendons have, if, if you were to require surgery, the quality of your tendon can be better when you take care of something early versus waiting. I actually met a therapist who ignored all of the signs because, you know, we're all human. And when things happen, they don't feel good. We tend to ignore it and hopefully it goes away because yep, maybe yep. at some point in the past, it has gone away. This right. time it didn't go away and it ruptured the tendon. 
the wow. surgery required from it um because the quality of the tendon was not good it re-ruptured requiring mm. a second surgery so there's certain things that if you find a trusted therapist that you can go to time and time again for different episodes they can really help you to manage some of those symptoms like the swelling they can help you manage the loss of motion that you could have mm -hmm. so for example with rheumatoid arthritis most of the time the therapist the therapist most of the time the person doesn't have a problem bending the finger it's that they can't open mm -hmm. right sorry it's I'm doing it as you're open. doing it <laughs> yeah so they can't open so the fingers start to kind of lie down a little bit yeah. not the wrist the fingers the, at the big uh, knuckle yeah so when you can open like that, yeah, you see. Um, so what happens is we have, I always draw my fingers when I teach, but oh, we great. have we have these what called they're called collateral ligaments. They're ligaments mm -hmm. in between that give support to our big knuckles. Mm -hmm. And then we have these tendons on the back of the hands that open up our big knuckle. Mm -hmm. And when you have an episode and it erodes at the quality of the tissues of your big knuckle, your joints will start to fall. Mm. They'll fall down into the palm. Mm -hmm. and that's why you can't open as well. And they'll okay. also do what's called ulnar drifting. This is the ulnar yes. side of your hand and your fingers will start to drift. So we understand that with rheumatoid arthritis, there's a certain pattern that takes place and it's a zigzag pattern. So your fingers go like this then your metacarpals go like that and your wrist goes like that. So yeah. And she, the owner side for those li listening to the audio, that's what just the pinky side. That's what I call that's it. The, yeah. That's and the, the pinky side. And the metacarpals and are the knuckles. But yeah. We have I mean, the majority of people listening are patients, but we also have a lot of, um, yeah. per, you know, OTs listen too. Yeah. So, yeah. so we tend to start seeing like a, a zigzag pattern in the, in the fingers and in the wrist mm -hmm. and when it comes to a splint and mm -hmm. braces, they can do a wonderful job for certain phases and periods, but you want to be careful with wear time schedule, how long you're wearing something for, mm -hmm. because worn too long, just like with any worn too long, you'll lose motion. Yep. Yep. Blocking certain things that don't need to be blocked mm -hmm. will um cause other issues solve yeah. one problem create another one it no and that's i think something that's just striking me again trying to keep things on the basics um for the listeners especially maybe someone is newly, newly diagnosed the hand is an extremely um complex part of the body and I, um, I'm going to post a link to this in the comment or the comments in the, in the show notes. Um, but one thing that I was really struck by in occupational therapy school learning about is, is that you have like a sensory and motor cortex on both sides. Sensory is like feeling stuff and motors moving stuff. And the amount of space that's taken up by the human hand, as well as like the lips and tongue, right. With the homunculus, yeah, which is like a visual yeah. representation, it's huge. And there's what, isn't there 23 muscles that, that go into the hand or something like that? Oh. Like 
half of them are intrinsic, half of them are extrinsic, something in the mid twenties. Yeah. Half of them originate beyond the hand earlier up in the body, like the elbow ish. I'm not a hand therapist, but the intrinsic muscles are the muscles that start in the hand and end mm-hmm, in the hand. Mm-hmm. And, the, and they're the ones that help you go like, wah, 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 like that. They mm-hmm. can help you open your fingers right here. Their thumbs move, your fingers move. It allows you to have dexterity, meaning you can move things inside your hand and you can use things, the little things to pick things up. And then you have your extrinsic mm-hmm. muscles that start outside of your hand, usually at your elbow, and they come into the hand. They're the ones that pull your tendons, your knuckles down, all the way down to make a full okay, right. yeah. They also help your thumb to come all the way down. They're the muscles that cross your wrist to get into your hand. So when we look at the hand, we always have to consider what is the wrist doing? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why a lot of people get confused because they'll say, well, let's say my pinky hurts or my ring finger and pinky hurt. Why is this therapist up here in my elbow? Well, because, you know, why are they saying it's a wrist issue? It doesn't hurt in my wrist. It hurts in the fingers. Well, it could be because the nerves are being impinged somewhere higher up. And so there's just, it just, um, yeah, same old uh, soapbox, but you know, it's extremely complex and that the sensory cortex also the part of your brain that's like, I need to process what things are feeling like hot, cold temperature, you know, and that also is devoted, has devoted a ton of space more than the surface area you would expect. Yeah. Um, and that's why your hands, this is my explanation of it, you know, why can hands hurt so much when they're so small? It's because your brain pays a ton of attention to them, right? It's because all your nerve endings were there. And there's a ton of, yeah, yeah. I mean, your nerve endings. If you, if you don't have the nerves working correctly, you won't feel hot, cold. You won't feel when something is metal or plastic or rubber. Mm -hmm. You won't feel the density. You drop things out of your hands because the brain is no longer connected to the hand to say, hold that, squeeze it. Because the information goes from the tips of your finger, from the nerves to your brain and sent back to say, squeeze it a little bit harder because it's heavy. Mm-hmm. Squeeze it a little bit lighter because you don't need to kill it. You're going to, you're going to break that flower if you squeeze too hard. Yeah. So there's a lot of feedback goes very quickly. It's complex, but at the end of the day, the hand does everything for you in your everyday life. And it is probably more <laughs> taken for granted than anything else. Yes. Until, yes. until, until it visit. is taken away from you. Yeah. And I, I've used this example before. I want to be careful how I say this, but I did, I just did a three month, my internship in spinal cord rehab and on um, that's where people, you know, have a variety of different kinds of injuries can happen to the spinal cord. You can have a lower you know, very lower thoracic one where you are completely paralyzed from the you know, lower waist, like below the belly button down, and you relearn how to do everything and be completely independent and go back to your job, you know, and then there's ones higher cervical ones where they have to have, you know, assistive assistance with breathing and like, you know, a mouth operated power wheelchair, stuff like that. But one of the things that really struck me is we had one patient with central cord syndrome, which is where you 
oh, I hope I'm saying, I hope I'm remembering the name of it, right? I'm pretty sure it was central cord where it wasn't a full spinal cord transection where it's like half your body is paralyzed or yeah. three quarters. It was that her, her legs were a hundred percent fine. Her arms were flaccid. She lost, yeah. um, I don't think she lost everything. It was like, she lost motor control, but still had sensation in her arms. And it was really interesting because in our society, um, being in a wheelchair is seen as like, that's the worst possible outcome. People will say that to yeah. me all the time. I just don't want to end up in a wheelchair. And I really, I think it's helpful to question that assumption because this particular patient, and I can't, I could imagine many others found that the ability to not, the inability to use your hands was so such a devastating effect on her daily life and her ability to function. She couldn't eat. She couldn't put her clothes on. She couldn't do it. Whereas the person with the, who couldn't walk, as long as they were in their wheelchair and learned how, and again, I'm not saying that being in a wheelchair from a lower level, you know, um, spot cord injury is a picnic. It's totally devastating as well. But I think people in that situation, it's like people might, someone might look at her and be like, oh my gosh, she's able to walk. Like she's not disabled, but actually she was very disabled from not being able to use your hands. So sorry. Yeah, no, <laughs> so, you're, you're right. I, it's, it's always perspective. Mm -hmm. It's always perspective. When we lose our legs, we're like, this is the worst thing ever. When your back hurts and you cannot even roll, mm. breathe, or, you know, pee right? Every is the worst thing that can happen to you. You, no one with a hand injury, you know, like a severe one, or even someone with both hand injuries would ever say that that's worse because they now have a new perspective. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think it's just perspective. I worked with someone, she actually came to me from the UK couple of visits because she had a, a very particular type of uh, nerve you know, spinal injury due to mm -hmm. an infection mm -hmm. and it messed up um, her arms, her legs, everything, but she was getting a lot of her legs back, but her arms, she was, she didn't have a lot of control. She didn't have strength. She didn't have coordination and she is an artist. Oh. And she couldn't draw the way she used to draw because she used to do little mini like micro types of sketching, mm -hmm. needed fine tune movements and stuff like that. And uh, it is not until something happens to you. I mean, I, I treat it all the time. Mm -hmm. So I see it all the time. So it's always my perspective, which is to say that when you lose your hands, you lose, lose function. I'm working with a young woman right now, rheumatoid arthritis. She's experiencing the, the problems in the hands. She uh, did, you know, she did the therapy that she was supposed to do, but it wasn't, she wasn't getting results. So that's the other thing outside of, um, outside of getting early treatment, just because you don't have the luxury to wait is finding a trusted therapist, even if it requires you to look around, even if it requires you to maybe consider paying for someone out of pocket, out of insurance, mm -hmm. because if you're not getting the results, you should recognize that really quickly and look mm -hmm. for another one. Because when you find a trusted therapist in your area, 
then you can go back to them time and time again. Mm-hmm. Young woman, she came in, her elbow, her she had a flare up in her elbow, the most recent one in her elbow and in her big knuckles. And once we started working with it, I asked her if, you know, if she wanted help and the other parts of her arms that I was noticing had issues and I didn't want her to, you know, necessarily ignore that or think that I couldn't help her with it because she has shoulder issues and they're all related. If your elbow does not work well, you cannot turn your palm up and down, Mm -hmm. right? If your elbow does not work well, you cannot turn your palm up and down. And the act of turning your palms up and down have an effect on how your wrist moves mm-hmm. and how your hands move have a direct effect on how your wrist moves. So everything is connected and your shoulders. Whew, well, we can talk about those things for days. Yeah. But you know, if I'm talking to your audience, your people right. who listen right. to you, who have rheumatoid arthritis, who have any form of arthritis, when you have the pain, when you have the continuous pain, when you have mm-hmm. the continuous limitations, find a trusted therapist. And the third thing is something is always possible, right? Something mm-hmm. is always possible. It may not be perfect because sometimes, uh, let's face it, when you have rheumatoid arthritis, sometimes the changes in certain joints are permanent right? Mm -hmm. Recognize which ones are permanent and know which ones are possible to get back and to strengthen around. Yeah. I call that like the solvable problems versus the unsolvable. And the unsolvable ones doesn't, doesn't mean that like, therefore you give up. It just means that, okay, I'm not going to remediate the underlying problem. How can we work around it? Can we use an assistive technology device or a gadget, you know? Um, And I think that's what, you know, what's just striking me about this is that I want to make sure people know that the first appointment that you go, when you go establish care with like a certified hand therapist or occupational therapist, the first step is always an evaluation if you've never been through this before. And what, and so can you, can you actually like um, walk through what is an evaluation like? Because the reason I think this is so important is that um, a lot of times people jump to conclusions like, okay, my hand my finger hurts and I have rheumatoid arthritis. It must be because of my rheumatoid arthritis, but the evaluation is what tells us, okay, that might be our working hypothesis, but I'm going to test all these different things. I'm going to test your strength. I'm going to test range of motion. And then we're going to see, maybe it's actually something else. Um, and you can't on your own as a lay person, you know, we do, there is a saying in chronic conditions, which I agree with, which is that patients become experts in their care. Like over time, you're you do, yes. but you, when it comes to something as complex as the hand, it's invaluable to have someone who spent years and years and years, literally like obsessing over the hand. Like yeah. I will not do, be doing that. That's my, at least <laughs> you'll come back and tell, laugh at me if I change, but I'm not, <laughs> it's too tedious for me. So I'm gl- so glad there's people out there like you who do specialize in the hand anyway. So yeah, yeah. what would it, what is involved in that evaluation? So I, I love what you just said there about you become an expert. And it's not so much that you're an expert, but I believe more so that you're an advocate for yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you're an advocate for yourself. Who else is going to do who, it? 
Thank yeah. you, Cheryl. Thank oh, you. Sorry. Who else? Yeah. Who else yeah. is going to do that? But you, you know, so you have to be an advocate for yourself, mm -hmm. even if you're not necessarily an expert in X problem. Mm -hmm. One of the things I say is um, you need extra eyeballs, right? Because when you're inside the jar, you yeah. cannot read the label on the outside. Oh, I love that. Yeah. You need extra eyeballs. You can't, you see what you see, but you cannot see what I see. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> so that's so true. In an evaluation, uh, I just, I do mine very, very specifically. Not everyone does it, but this is how I do it. I listen to and ask various questions around what the person's problems are, what they can do, what they cannot do do what they have tried what has worked what has not worked mm -hmm. because everything that you've done until the point that you see me is helpful information because I'm mm -hmm. not going to do the same thing that you didn't like I'm not going to do the same thing that didn't work for you or maybe right. I have an ego and say I'll do it a little bit better but <laughs> yeah. well it's true but it right. the devil's in the details so, yeah yeah so that's one of my favorite things. Oh, okay. well, because no, it's, and I've had people say, well, I tried hand therapy. It didn't work for me. Totally understand like having one bad experience and thinking that it won't work. But I'm like that therapist and that particular experience didn't help didn't you. Okay. That doesn't yeah. mean, and it's, it's actually a little scary. I have to say, and I, I tend, I have an anxiety disorder. And so for me, the fact that yeah. there is so much variability, it's kind of icky to me and like makes me anxious. Cause I'm like, yeah. but why don't, why doesn't everyone know everything <laughs> why can't they just all know everything and just be good and it's like because yeah. life is messier than yeah. we would like well, so anyway they, they know they know right but the uh, application of knowledge is different because personalities are different well, that's true that's kind of yeah. you to think that they know there are I definitely yeah. know that there's especially when it comes to cer certain health providers yes. have just given out outright yes. like misinformation to patients sure. like, like you can't sure. be medicated during a pregnancy for rheumatoid arthritis like, that's just out and out wrong yeah. with the kind yeah. of use the outdated way of thinking but yeah right. No, you're right I mean yeah yeah so yeah yeah so you are this is your style of the hand that's therapy my style evaluation. so I find I, out what's going on I find out what's going wrong and then I look at all the motions so I do a complete uh evaluation a complete assessment so do you mind if I look at you know because the elbow is connected to the shoulder that's connected to the hand mm -hmm. so do you mind if I look at everything Oh my God, really? Yeah, because most therapists, if you follow the prescription and you follow only what the insurance says and the thing says elbow, look at the elbow, then the therapist can have blinders on and say, I'm only allowed to look at the elbow. <sighs> so yeah. this is why it's so important when you go and find someone. I didn't say just find any therapist. I, I said, find a trusted therapist. So it takes time to find that trusted therapist. It takes time to build that trust. Mm -hmm, so that's mm -hmm. why I say that you have to, you know, when you have a chronic uh, condition, not only are you an expert on that condition, but you're an advocate for yourself. So you must continue to look because again, the mindset is something is always possible for me because the flip mm -hmm. side is nothing is possible for me. So which, which side of the coin would you like to live on? Mm-hmm. I love that, like a little mantra to repeat, like something is possible. I yeah. either can like, let's say in terms of pain, which pain is so complex, but you know, I can 
find ways to either reduce the sensation of pain currently, you know, or Mm -hmm. I can find ways to have a different relationship to the pain, cope differently. And, um, as opposed to, yeah, having this, um, and I think sometimes when patients hear chronic, they think, well, that means it's no matter what I do, I have rheumatoid arthritis. So why do anything? It's like, it's true that until there's an actual cure, you're going to have rheumatoid arthritis. Even if you're in remission, you still have that diagnosis and condition. You still still fall in that umbrella of more likelihood to develop ulnar drift, more likelihood to, you know, have X, Y, Z, but it's still, um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, growth mindset. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, that's how I look at it. I look at the whole arm. I look at the whole thing. I look at both hands. I look mm-hmm. at both arms because rheumatoid usually hits a person bilaterally, meaning both sides. Mm-hmm. So sometimes what you can see on one side, you can see that something is coming down the pipes on the other side. Mm-hmm. So usually when I see someone for one thing, I say, what can I do not just to help you today, but what else can I do to help you tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. So true. And, and I, I have a history of one side consistently being worse than the other, sure. but it's like the, the, the worst side is like the red, or not the red hang, the canary in the coal mine. Like when that side starts flaring again, I know pretty soon, like, you know, the other so, side yeah. will, um, and okay. So yeah, then you get, you get all these measurements. And for those people who like data, it's really, I mean, I'm such a nerd, obviously I'm like, I'm an OT, but I think it's actually really neat to get like a hand therapy evaluation because then you could have this document that you keep and you see, this is how much my joints can move, right? Uh-huh. This is my strength. These are like numbers we can actually assign yeah. to things. I know the most important things aren't really measurable, but then, yeah. you know, if you do yeah. therapy, then you can feel like, oh, I'm improving. Like, or yeah. you can just feel like there's, I think this is just me going off, but like with rheumatoid arthritis, it's such a fluctuating condition. It can feel like you're just so much is out of your control that I think sometimes having numbers to put to things, um, is helpful. I actually have a, a, um, a member in my room to thrive group right now who has type one diabetes and rheumatoid arthritis, which Mm. if you have one auto, you know, type one diabetes is autoimmune. And if you have one autoimmune, you're more likely to have another, but she said, I said to her, you know, I'm like, I have this, this is like grass is always greener thing. So I want you to tell me if this is not true, but I was like, I have, it feels to me like if I could, like the way that you can measure your blood sugar, I know that that doesn't necessarily, blood sugar doesn't correlate necessarily perfectly to like what you're feeling, but I'm like, but it's like, is there some sort of like relief to that, you know, as opposed to like rheumatoid arthritis, there's like so few things you can measure. She's like, oh my gosh. Yes. So that's what my N of one, she agreed with me that like, it's hard to have something so like ephemeral. Um, so you create systems to measure, you create your Mm. own metrics, right? So um, for example, when I'm talking to, you know, my patient, my client and say, okay, this is a red flag, right? So we can have you, you have, you know, how much pain do you have? And, And there's various types of pain Mm -hmm. and there's various ways in which you could feel pain. So you can either have consistent pain or, or intermittent pain. Mm -hmm. So there's ways to measure. So if we can work to get rid of, or rid of your pain, how, how long can it last? Right. That's a measurement. Um, How long can we keep the pain away? How low can the pain be in terms of its intensity? What type of pain can we look for that is okay 
but not in others, right? So like right. if you have rheumatoid arthritis, you might always have like this dull achiness that you know something is wrong, but there's no sense of urgency to it because you develop such a high level of tolerance. So right. that level is okay. But when you do something and it's sharp and it's pinchy and it stabs and radiates, that is not an okay pain because what happens with rheumatoid uh, types of problem is everything essentially becomes an orthopedic issue. And when I say orthopedic mm -hmm. issue, it means that your joints fall out of alignment. Mm -hmm. If your joints fall out of alignment, then when you move and the two bones are hitting into each other, you get what's called an impingement. If it's in the shoulder, mm -hmm. you get what it, you know, called something else when it's in the hand or in the wrist. Uh, when your joints fall out of alignment, they no longer sit what we call congruently together, then your muscles only get long and only get short. So now your muscles are imbalanced. So what is actually a rheumatoid type of problem versus a orthopedic type of imbalance? So there's something so to work true. on. Mm-hmm. No, that's so, so important. And I know that there's plenty of patients who, who've had it for the long, you know, long-term, um, who then do develop, you know, osteoarthritis. I didn't even realize till my doctor just mentioned offhand that I have a little bit of osteo on my toe actually, which isn't, it's interesting how deformities don't always correlate to pain. I think if they're more of the mild, cause I'm like, it actually is like, I don't know if we could probably the deformity in my, I have my second toe is bigger than my big toe and it, it's really- it's longer is, but it's fatter? Oh, sorry, it's was <laughs> longer and now it's shorter because it's curled up like okay. this. Yeah. So, oh. and yeah, so I was, I insisted to my doctor initially that was from my hammer toes from playing soccer my whole life. I was like, no, 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 that's just from soccer. She's like, this is literally like rheumatoid arthritis. Like I can see it <laughs> like, but, um, anyway, um, point being, it doesn't act that doesn't hurt me too much, but there's other things where it's like this tiny, tiny minor imbalance that can cause pain. So uh, all the yeah. more reason to say that, you know, getting an evaluation to help you suss out, like, yeah. is it muscular? Is it tendon? Is it, yeah. mm -hmm. what can I do about it? Um, what can you do about it? Cause there's always something to do, even the toes. I always say the toes are like the hands and they really are like in, in my clinic. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is in my clinic. I, I treat everything. So usually when I, when I get someone for their hands and arms, I end up treating everything else, including their toes. We're all, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, what's that? You know, your toes are just like your hands. <laughs> you know, if you're lucky like me, I pick things up with my toes. I mean, but not everyone can do that. <laughs> Not every, yeah, you can learn, but yeah. And so, okay. We talked about the, what the evaluation is like, and we've talked about a little bit of the treatments, part of the treatment you were mentioning, it would involve like patient education. Like that's another thing patients might not know is that like learning, like having a therapist, like, an, like, like Wong teaching you about the hand and about ways you can protect your hand and also make sure to keep moving your hand, learning which braces in splints might help learning how to wear them. That's all part of occupational therapy and certified hand therapy, right? So, um, yeah. that can be something that is part of your, it's not just like, I think there's a lot of times people hear like therapies. Well, first of all, they hear OT and they think it's just like PT. And then it might just be like, oh, they're just going to put me on like a hand extra hand bike or something like yeah. a lot of education can go on. Yeah. And yeah. And what are some of the other, like, I know 
I'll just give you one of the FAQs that I get um, in terms of people's, like um, most patients want to develop their own pain toolbox, right? Or their flare up toolbox, like what mm -hmm. they want a set of tools for what to do when they get those pretty much inevitable. I hate to tell you inevitable, mm -hmm. unless you're the one of the one lucky ones that does go into remission long-term, um, you know, things like hot versus cold. Some patients swear by hot. What do you, what, what do you say when someone's like, I don't know when to use hot or when to use cold. How yeah. do you help them make sense of that? So usually with, Ooh, sorry. No worries. What do I have? Oh, do you have on? No, I it's just, my timer went off for whatever reason. Oh. Um, <laughs> I probably said it in, incorrectly for our meeting today. And it's like an hour late. <laughs> oh, right. No, I do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what do I say about hot and cold? Well, normally cold is used for an acute problem, uh, inflammation, redness, swelling, and heat is used for when you feel really stiff and tight, right? So in mm -hmm. a flare, when you have a flare up, a cold compress can be helpful to reduce your pain. Because when you have a flare up, you have so much pain, so much redness, so much swelling, and you need to reduce that. You need to, to calm that down. You need to be able to live in and tolerate that. So a cold mm -hmm. compress can be really nice and ease, ease you out of that pain. During your flare-ups, you can just do gentle motion that is within the limits that you can tolerate in terms of moving and just every once in a while checking your joint, let's say it's your elbow, bending it and straightening it. Not like a lot of repetitions or anything like that, mm -hmm. but just making sure that it moves, right? Right. And when as it starts to reduce and you feel the stiffness or you might have lost the motion there because mm -hmm. of the swelling your body is sending not only is it attacking itself but then it's sending uh you know the low workmen there to repair right what it attacked. right right right, right. <laughs> so you have both I call it junk, you know, you know, flood comes in and the flood goes out. And when it goes out, it leaves junk there. It leaves debris. So mm -hmm. right now what you have is you end up having some debris and it's through gentle motion in the right way with the right intensity to get you to return to as much motion as possible. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason why I say you know, there's a lot that you could do on your own as a, as somebody who has that injury, right? Mm -hmm. I do advocate and advise if you can go somewhere, even if it's a couple of times, I know like you have, you know, people have so many medical appointments are like, oh God, mm -hmm. therapy is such a drag. I really want to go. But if you find a really good supportive therapist they can show you and you you want to advocate for yourself and ask too one of the things that I always ask my patients but I do this not everyone does so like how much do you want me to help you mm. do you want to do you want to come in and have me do majority of the work or do you want to also learn um what to do at home so every week we can make some progress and and keep progressing towards the goal that you said that you wanted or did you want to just come in once or twice and figure out what to do and you're on your own 
right? Mm -hmm. So I give people choices. If they say, I just want to come once or twice, well, I know a lot, but you're only giving me once or two Mm -hmm. times to help you. So here's as much as I can provide. And then I can't, I can't continue to help you because you've, you've said you don't want my help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Most of the time people say, I want to learn what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I will teach you what I'm doing. I will show you the issue with someone with rheumatoid arthritis is that it's happening to both your arms. Mm -hmm. So when you're using one arm to help the other arm, it's not going to like you that much. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. When you have the problem, you can't stop other all the other body parts that are helping to compensate because your body is extremely smart. For example, yes. when I work with the elbow, I've got to pin that shoulder down. I've got to move, you know, isolate just the elbow. And then we've got to move with the forearm, right? Mm-hmm. And we can move the joints. We can work the tissue so that you can have several levels of comfort, pain relief, motion, tissue work, you know, that when I have my two hands compared to your one hand can be a lot more effective faster. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then there are some things that you can do on your own, like support that motion to keep it from one visit to the next. There's Mm -hmm. um, tissue work, right? So a lot of times therapists might call it retrograde massage, meaning mm-hmm. we're going to move the tissue, we're going to move the swelling from one end to the other end. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, they can call it myofascial release, they can call it fascial work, whatever, manual therapy techniques, all the fancy words mm-hmm. that you want to use. Basically, it's just, um, you know, moving the debris, moving the swelling out of the area so that you will have less pain. Because right. every problem, because has become an orthopedic problem where your mm-hmm. joints don't move as well. Your ligaments got really tight. Your tendons and muscles got kind of short and your skin and, and fascia are not as flexible as they could be to allow you to move in a pain-free range. Yeah. That's why early, um, you know, early aggressive treatment is so recommended in rheumatoid arthritis because initially when the immune system mistakenly attacks like the synovial fluid in the joint, which is like that super lubricating, I know that you know what it is, but I'm yeah. telling the audience, the super yes, lubricating, yes, yes. you know, material. <laughs> Did you know? Yeah. So, uh, you around the joint. So I know. Yeah. No, but, um, but yeah, what it does is it, it just creates inflammation initially. There's like, you know, stuff from your immune system comes in, tries to like, quote unquote, attack the foreign invader. And initially it doesn't, it doesn't immediately, right, cause mechanical issues in the joints. It's only when it's left for a, the way I think of it is almost just like there's only so much space in the joint for the swelling to go. Eventually, it compresses, just kind of like when you have. And this is a, maybe I don't know why I'm thinking of this analogy, but like you know, in the skull, if the brain is swelling, there's only so much, you know only so many places it can go, but in the joint, because things yeah. are moving around it, you know, the bones and yeah. everything's moving around it, then it's creating friction. And then that's create contributing to the wear and tear. So, you know, the medications yeah. for so many people are so helpful because they can really slow down the initial disease process more quickly yes. than any, anything else. But because the medications aren't perfectly effective for everyone, or they're like for me, where I was in complete medicated remission with no symptoms and no disease progression for six years, 
And then my immune system changed because immune systems like to just change sometimes wow. <laughs> and, you know, develop antibodies to meds or then, you know, with my pregnancy, my immune system changed again. Sure. I'm out of that full remission. I'm not in, I'm in the gray zone. I'm not in a complete remission. I'm not in a complete flare up. I'm in the moderately well controlled, but not perfectly controlled disease activity. Yeah. Then we want to combine the medicine with, um, the manual techniques, the therapies, anything that we can do lifestyle wise, you know, exercise, nutrition, sleep, yeah. stress management. Sorry. I just yeah. went off on my lifestyle yeah. tangent, but <laughs> no, lifestyle, lifestyle is huge. I spend a lot of time, um, talking about that with my own patients mm -hmm. and we might incorporate some of uh, certain exercises in it to support them. Like, mm -hmm. you know, core strength is essential. So your hands have to work so hard if your elbow doesn't move well and your shoulder is not strong enough to stabilize. Mm -hmm. So the pain that someone might feel like the, the, you know, my patient that I'm currently working with, I'm working with her whole, whole body essentially, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but in order to fix the shoulder pain, we had to fix the elbow first. She came in for her elbow, but then she was like, but this hurts and this hurts. And, mm -hmm. and I'm like, I get it. Let's focus on getting better motion in your elbow. Mm -hmm. And from there, we can stabilize and make sure right. that the shoulder isn't so painful. Mm -hmm. um, because what's happening with the shoulder is because the elbow compensates, right? So the elbow mm -hmm. doesn't move. The shoulder will compensate for the elbow not moving. So she's developed a... Uh, shoulder impingement, meaning the two mm -hmm. bones are hitting into each other and slowly over time left untreated, ignored will eventually tear away at your rotator cuff. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're getting that stabilized. Um, we're working on that. And she was like, but my elbow feels better. My shoulder's feeling better. I can sleep on it now, but my hands. So well, we've got, you know, we're getting to the hands, but we still need to stabilize a little bit more so that we can get to the wrist and the hands because the wrist and the hands currently doing so much work right now because mm -hmm. we don't have enough stability. Mm -hmm. And then uh, she was complaining of numbness to her fingers. These are not necessarily rheumatoid arthritis problems. These are orthopedic problems brought mm -hmm. on by the rheumatoid disease process that affected the joints that now no longer move as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you can become a little bit I call there's two types of body types you're loosey-goosey people and you're mm -hmm. stiff as a board people mm -hmm. so you're loosey-goosey people the ligaments aren't they're not um tight enough to hold you together so mm -hmm. think about your skeleton and you're like too wobbly and you you kind of like the the wind blows and your you know your skeleton falls apart right crumbles mm -hmm. to the floor well, in order for you to be held together, you need your muscles. Your muscles hold your body together and mm -hmm. gives you that stability and gives you that strength, right? Mm -hmm. And it allows your joints to move better. Mm -hmm. So with someone who has rheumatoid arthritis, uh, core strengthening, key core strengthening is really important. And again, it's so important to go to a therapist that has an awareness of this because if you just work out like everyone else works out, you're going to be jamming your wrist. And not mm -hmm. every person with rheumatoid arthritis can be putting the level of weight on their wrists that you yeah. might see in 
free YouTube exercises, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you, you have to essentially at some point learn certain exercises in a modified way, but maybe not miss certain core ones. It's not that someone doesn't know any exercise. The fact that you know certain ones, you can take that to your therapist. I'm doing these. What other strengthening exercises am I missing that I could do? Your mm-hmm. therapist could help you with that. Right. Right. No, that's so, this is so helpful. So I hope, you know, we're calling this episode, you know, hand therapy secrets, everyone with arthritis should know, but, um, you know, these aren't necessarily like literally things that only us know, but there are things that, you know, we've talked about advocating for yourself, building a team, being proactive and establishing, you know, care, including a hand therapist early learning about the anatomy of the hand and getting an understanding, you know, of, what might, what's the root cause of your issue? Even though you have a diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis, it, like you've mentioned numerous times, yeah. it may not be that it's that that disease is actually causing the current issue, or it might be causing one of your six issues, but not all of them, yeah. you know, and <laughs> yeah, developing that's a right. toolbox. And then I think the part about the mindset to me, that's, I, I just love talking about the mindset, but yeah, th- saying that, you know, in something, some improvement is always possible. Yeah. Um, I think that that's all just like, super helpful. And I just want to end by asking, do you have any advice just in general for newly diagnosed people, newly diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, I guess, first of all, listen to this episode, (laughs) which you probably are. If you're listening right now, you're already listening, but yeah, in general, what do you find is helpful for them to, to remember or know? I think that, oh gosh, in my experience, when I've spoken to people, I speak to them so late in the game. Oh, yeah. And so they always, because that's the nature of my job, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, like, uh, it shouldn't be, though. The nature, you know, of your, we I, should be getting <laughs> hand therapy. This should be part of the post diagnosis well, process, in my opinion. Yeah, but, you know, the way, you know, perfection isn't the way of the world. No, <laughs> and I've been really so, against that for 41 years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think that, um, if there's anything that I could say to someone who is newly diagnosed as someone who works with people late in the game is that the people who I speak to always regret taking late action but never has anyone ever said that they regret taking early action that that makes sense that is no I actually just literally no I'm getting chills because that's so true and I just did a video earlier this morning about um you know, all the different kinds of grief people can have with this kind of diagnosis. And, you know, a lot of times people say, talk about grieving your old normal or the old you, but I also think, and I've seen it in myself and others that you can regret, um, the way that you manage your condition because it really is a, a one hindsight's 2020 to like, no better, do better. It's okay. Like, and there's people who've, I mean, I mention this all the time, but I see a lot of the times with the autoimmune forms of arthritis, people get, they get really excited about the all natural 
um, claims people make, you know, just do this diet. You don't have to take the scary meds. And then they, the, the natural methods don't work for them. And then they take the meds and they immediately feel better and are like, Oh my gosh, I just, I, I have irreversible joint damage Yeah, and I could have prevented this. And there's a lot of, we have to learn to just sit with that grief and know that like, there's no changing of the past and all we can, you know, we can give ourselves self-compassion in that moment. And then, you know, focus on the present and the future, which is the only thing we have any control over. So usually my patients talk about that and regret that. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it's it's really sad to see, you know, because they there's 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 not just a regret, but um, the mindset of what next, what next, like it's gonna mm-hmm. be bad again, right? So, um. I think the second thing is no one regrets taking early action, but also to be gentle to yourself. I teach yeah. a lot of students and, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I, as a, as a certified hand therapist, I, I run hand therapy cigarettes. I started and run hand therapy cigarettes where I train other therapists. Right. Yeah. And one of the things that I see in the therapy world is that we are not gentle with ourselves, please. I'm not gentle with myself. Like I'm not even a gentle person. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, you got to do you, like, you got to be true to yourself. Yeah, like, no. I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm high, high energy, high level, high, you know, like all like, uh, I can shoot off like a rocket. Yeah. It's my personality. Right. I'm right, a high right. energy person. Um, and I can see it I can see it in myself now more than I ever saw before, but I only started to pay attention because I'm, I see it in other people. Mm. So, um, yeah, that we are, we are not gentle beings (laughs) to ourselves. So if I'm working with therapists and they're not gentle to themselves when um, when they're striving for certain things, so to the patient, cause who's, what's a patient, a patient is a person, just like a therapist is a person. And when I work with any kind of patient with an injury, with anything, they are not gentle to themselves either, because one, they shouldn't have gotten the injury in the first place uh-huh. Two, um, uh, they want to get better yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I am part of that in, in, the impatient, impatient yeah. people, anonymous. <laughs> right, right. We all are. So, you know, taking that into consideration of um, like how we are as human beings, then um, it doesn't matter what you have. You have rheumatoid arthritis, you can have whatever you have. And um, you have to remember to be gentle to yourself. And it is a, work in progress and it is a certain level of awareness that you have to have um and continuously work on I mean I can't say it any any other way I I do it 
I have to, I've brought that into my practice uh, last year, <laughs> like oh. into myself, into me, into Huang. Yeah. I have brought yeah. that into myself. I often will forget it, but then I have to bring it back. So last year was very intentional mm. on that, even at the speed in which I want to work. Yeah. Even at the speed in which I want to accomplish things, um, mm. I have to be gentle to myself. So if you are, someone who newly diagnosed you have to become an advocate and a, you know an expert of your own um you know disease and process to you never regret early action mm-hmm. three to remember to be gentle with yourself to yourself at all mm-hmm. times yeah. And I, the, I've recommended her before, but I cannot recommend highly enough. Dr. Kristen Neff, that's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-N-E-F-F. She is a psychologist who specializes in self-compassion. She has um, a couple books. The latest one I think is called like fierce self-compassion talking about the different self-compassion sounds like la la la. I love myself. And that is actually part of it, but yeah. part of it's also standing up. Sometimes that means having boundaries. Sometimes that means saying no to things because yeah. you are prioritizing, you know, your own mental health. And the second thing I would say is, uh, or just adding on to the being gentle with yourself is that, um, you know, getting mental health support is really important with, with rheumatoid arthritis. If you're having, you know, anxiety or depression, which are very, very common in, uh, in people with autoimmune diseases in general, but particularly rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic ankylosing spondylitis. And I did not go to therapy in, in, for any problems in my life until it was postpartum. And I always mm-hmm. mention that because I think that there's been a lot of amazing work in the United States done to destigmatize postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. And I felt like, well, society thinks it's okay to get therapy for postpartum issues, postpartum. I just call it like postpartum yucky feeling. Like I didn't, yeah. it doesn't really feel like, well, I felt irritable and I felt overwhelmed, you know? And so I guess that's irritability is a symptom of both anxiety and depression. So uh, I didn't feel sad. I didn't feel worried. I just felt like what I felt like I just got hit by a train. Like, do you mind if I ask you a personal question? Oh, of course. Yeah. What was your breaking point that said, I'm going to get help because this irritation, because I mean, who isn't irritated and who isn't overwhelmed at certain stages or certain parts of the days, right? Like that's where I'm kind of curious. Okay. There were two, yeah, there were two really specific moments I can remember. One is that one of my close friends gave birth 10 days after me. So we'd gone for a pregnancy together. And I remember her saying just offhand at like nine months postpartum, when I had a, a lot of friends gave birth around the same time. And we were just kind of sitting there like, um, you know, venting, oh, yeah. my husband doesn't get it. La la la, you know, like that kind of thing. And, yeah. um, and then she was like, I kind of weirdly feel, and she wasn't bragging. She was just literally saying the truth. Like, I feel like me and my spouse are like closer than like closer than we were before the baby. Like, and she was like genuinely surprised by that. Cause she was expecting to be like, kind of some of the others of us who were like, oh my gosh, you know, like, like I, uh, and I just, I try not to talk about you know, I don't talk about my husband a lot only because he's a lot more private than I am, you know, and just, um, and so I don't, it's, it's my story and I love sharing my story, but it's also his story, you know, but I felt like we went from this happy couple to, I just became this, I just, I'm like, 
swatting away at him, like go away, yeah. but also yeah. help me. But I don't want to teach you how to help me. Ugh. Like, I just yeah. felt just like a totally different person, like literally. Yeah. And, and he asked me one time, like basically kind of check in, like, what do you hate me? He literally said something like oh. that. And I was like, I hate myself right now. And that, and that has never, I've never felt that way before. I am like yeah. a like happy temperament. Yeah. I was a happy baby. I'm a happy child. Like, yes, I've you had anxiety. Strike me as being a very happy. I'm person. bubbly. I've literally felt yes. like, yes. and actually the other thing that's, so I was like, this isn't like a couple's counseling problem. Like this is a me problem. Although of course, I think I'm a big proponent. If you're yeah. having marital, like it was more just kind of, he could tell like something he's like, are you yeah. like, what, you know? And he wasn't like, you should go to therapy. He was kind of just like, is there something I could do? And I was like, yeah something happened to me. Like my brain is different now and I don't like it. And I don't, yeah. and I've always loved myself and loved being me. And, and yes. you know, my parents were amazing. Oh. And, you know, so they, they really kind of just, you know, encouraged me constantly. And were like, you're perfect yeah. just the way you are, you know, that self-esteem movement of the eighties, yeah. you know, but so <laughs> I knew that that was, that that was not me, but I still didn't get therapy. Um, because I'm an optimist and I'm stubborn and my husband and I are both stubborn and both optimists, which is the best and the worst, because we will not give up ever, even if it's something that should be yeah. given up on. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so you're like, uh, so then I was like, okay, well, it's about to get better. I just kept convincing myself when he gets to know oh, when he walks. Okay. When he's we, we, when we wean him, when he's on bottles, when blah, blah, when he sleeps this amount, blah, blah, blah. I can, and then I got to 12 months and it was like, and then I, I ended up, uh, then a friend of mine had also had gone to therapy and was raving about it. So I asked her for her therapist or name. And I went to the therapist and she was like, I said, I feel so dumb because it was like, th at this point it was I, I 12 months. I was like, it's not better. It's not like he turned one and it's magically better. And then I was like, but wait a minute, is this even considered postpartum depression because, or postpartum, sure. whatever, because he's not a, he's not an infant. Um, but, and my, of course I was in the middle of a huge RA flare up, but I kept minimizing yeah. that. Okay. But yeah. I know I'll get it under control. It's about to yeah. get under control. It's okay. Yeah. We're fine. Yeah. And then, anyway, so that is a little longer story, but then I went to her and I was like, oh, I, I said, this is weird because I'm like, it's 13 months postpartum. She was Cheryl. I cannot tell you the number of women that come to me in the 13, you know, 12, 13, 14 months. Cause they all say the same thing. I just wanted to make it to a year, just make it to a year postpartum, then it will get better. And then it doesn't. And then, but, um, the other thing I just was going to say, resolving the issues around, you know, postpartum adjustment, adjustment to being a mom and adjusting to my understanding. Like she taught me that irritability is a symptom of anxiety. And my anxiety is about things I can't control. And an infant yeah. and a baby is inherently on, not on your control. Yeah. Those yeah. things that took, that didn't take a huge amount of time, but I ended up going to her for a number of years because we ended up processing a lot of my rheumatoid arthritis and my journey around that and the medical gaslighting I'd experienced and a lot of things I had like suppressed. Yeah. And I really wished after going to her that I had done it earlier, but I didn't, in my mind, rheumatoid arthritis wasn't quote unquote, a bad enough quote unquote justification for quote unquote needing therapy. Like all of those statements are problematic. Like you don't need any justification other than, Hey, I don't feel great. And there's people whose literal job it is to like help you with that. <laughs> I, so anyway, thank that's you my so, life story. Yeah. No, I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, as I was listening to you, it made me think about my rheumatoid arthritic patients. 
yeah to follow the same trajectory mm. of it's gonna get better it's oh, gonna get yeah. better mm-hmm. um I just wait until that flare-up goes down and if you know um the the idea of going somewhere to get help I can do it myself yeah I can yes. do it myself I'm gonna keep trying I keep trying. I'm going to do it myself. It's I'm not a giver upper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I They're got the this. toughest people. The toughest people the I toughest know, people. honestly. The toughest people, right? But that's a problem. We need to ask for help. Like The things that help us are exactly the same thing that eventually will hurt us. Our stubbornness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because you are stubborn enough. You are strong enough to get through this. Mm-hmm. But your strength and your stubbornness stop you from getting help when you could have gotten help. And then once you got help, you're like, oh, shit, wish I'd done this earlier. Yeah. Well, and I think when- like, I think I just have a really, my therapist literally referred to my childhood upbringing as like a positive outlier. Like yeah. I truly had an idyllic childhood, no trauma, no anything. So I think also I had this misconception that like therapy is only for people who've had like a trauma or trauma, like, again, yeah. something terrible life. Like, yeah. and I had to, and I also had this story. I kept repeating to myself that like my life is perfect other than rheumatoid arthritis. Like that's a little miss perfect over here, you know, yeah. and being able to have that humanity to say like, no one's perfect, you know? And I, I thought, Oh, I figured out rheumatoid arthritis. I just take my medicine and yeah. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. had no, like people, people have asked me so many times, like, were you like, did it, was it hard to decide whether to have a baby with rheumatoid arthritis? So I was like, no, <laughs> I was yeah. just like, I'm doing it. Yeah. People yeah. can do it. My, my doctor says, you know, lots of people have a healthy, normal pregnancy with rheumatoid yeah. arthritis. What's the problem? Yeah. Like, yeah. But that's, it sounds so functional to say that, right. Yeah. It seems like she's optimistic. She's got a great attitude, but optimism sometimes is like a form of denial, right? I am choosing not to look at the negative possibilities yeah. here. I'm only looking at positive, positive, yeah. la, la. Yeah. And then, yeah. and I did have a great pregnancy for the record, yeah. but you know, yeah. there's a reason we don't have another child, yeah. you know, yeah. we think yeah. really South afterwards and yeah. with my health and yeah. So anyway, yeah. But, <laughs> for what that's worth. <laughs> when you, when you listen back, like, like I was listening to, cause I'm again, an outsider listening in yeah, um, yeah, to your yeah. story and so much of it sounds so familiar yeah. With people who come to me with rheumatoid arthritis types of pains, limitations, fears, worries, mm-hmm. and they think that there's a lot of things that they could do and tackle on their own. Yeah. And they sometimes don't know where to look, don't know who to go to. Um, finding that trusted person, you were very fortunate because you asked somebody who knew someone who could refer yeah. to you. Not everyone has that. One of my, one of my patients, you know, usually people find me, um, uh, on Google, they mm-hmm. search me up. They, they look for a certified hand therapist. They, again, like I said, I'm in Miami. So, um, they look me up there. They've usually tried several other therapy clinics prior, mm-hmm. which is, mm-hmm. we work a little bit differently. We're completely independent clinics. Mm-hmm. We're not, to any surgeon any doctor that says oh whatever that doctor says like I can give you an income like a completely independent um Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. uh, assessment of where you're at, where you want to go, what do you want to do based on what your values are mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that align with the what my values are, which is I can help you to be more active, to not have pain and to avoid things like pills, injections and surgeries, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pills meaning pain pills, not yeah medication pills that control your disease process yeah yeah no thank you for that clarification there is I definitely have this crusade against you know that it um a lot of people are very you know they have it I understand the bias against medication the the natural is better fallacy is like a documented logical fallacy you know that a lot of people fall under and yes if there was a way to naturally control rheumatoid arthritis as well as medication i would do it yeah most people would right yeah there's some 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 things require medication Mm -hmm. there's no some things require medications and um some things you can't avoid i have a good friend who uh he's a physical therapist does a lot of manual therapy it's actually in washington state but not in the same area but he owns a clinic and he has rheumatoid arthritis and it's it's actually hereditary his mm-hmm. his mom has it. He has it. His brother has it. And um, I always, you know, when we used to get together for like business meeting stuff, and you know, I'm a hand therapist, I can't help it. I'm like, your hands look good. Like <laughs> I know, yeah. I what's up? You know, like yeah. your hands look good too, right? So I'm like, your hands look good. You know, a lot of people who do manual therapy always ask me about my hands, and my hands feel good, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, what's up with your hands? And I was like, I don't see you. And he goes, well. Uh, ever since he was diagnosed, he uh, takes some medication. He mm-hmm. he has a very particular diet that he sticks to that he mm-hmm. has found works. Yeah, and he yeah. manages and controls a lot of his um his he controls his weight. He controls his activity level. He mm-hmm. can like the things that he can control. He has controlled, and uh, right. that takes not just discipline but habit. Mm-hmm. And um, he has a brother who complete opposite overweight doesn't take medication doesn't stay active eats like crap already at a very tender age in the 40s already have like hip surgeries hip replacement shoulder Mm -hmm. surgery like so you can you can run the gamut everything is on a bell curve yeah (laughs) right everything's on a bell curve but really at the end of the day you you when you advocate for yourself, you find out what works for you. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's really a team effort. I have done some, um, tried to do some work. I'm saying, I don't want to be too ambitious with what I'm saying, but you know, um, I've done some work with other, um, disciplines like social works, you know, in in the American college of rheumatology's association for rheumatology health professionals, which is like the AOTA for people in rheumatology who are not rheumatologists. So, you know, nurses, OT, PT, psychologists, counselors, pharmacists, uh, nurse practitioners who work in rheumatology. That's an, that's an association. And I'm, even though, again, my work is very non-traditional right now, but I've joined them, try to like, um, and I've done some talks to help like kind of highlight the multidisciplinary team and know that your team is not just you and your doctor. It's, you know, when it, when it's a chronic condition, your family yeah. members are part of your team, you know, yes. um, friends can be part of your team. Friends can help you, you know, support your, 
um, habits and behaviors and routines. You know, your friends might remind you, hey, remember how you notice that whenever you sleep really well, you know, your pain is less, maybe, you know, the accountability yeah. partners and then everyone yeah. else. But yeah. anyway, but I know we've gone over, but thank yeah. you so, so much. And I, um, I want to make sure that I, everyone knows that I'm going to, I'm going to put links to your, um, social media accounts and website, but do you want to just say if any, if people wanted to find you online, where, um, what, where do you want them to go? Sure. Uh, my name is Hong Tran. I'm an occupational therapist and certified hand therapist, and you can find my clinic. I'm located in Miami and it's called hands-on therapy services. And if you are an occupational therapist and you're listening to this and want to dive into the world of hand therapy or just explore hand therapy, you can find me at Hand Therapy Secrets across all channels, right? YouTube channel, Instagram, Facebook. You're LinkedIn. so smart to get you the same it. handle. I didn't do it. I did not do that. I didn't get the same handle. And now it's, it's not, like, five it's not, it's it. just like, it's just like, you know, I, I do hands like that's, that's yeah. my thing. So hands on. Yeah. I don't know why I thought it would be like, yeah, that's exactly what I do because I'm hands on. Yeah, I <laughs> love a it. Long title. I wish I had like gone with another name, but whatever. Uh, no. Hands on therapy services, and then um, uh, hand therapy secrets because in the hand therapy world, there's always this. I don't know this rhetoric and the story of like it's so hard and I mm. don't believe that it needs to be hard and uh sometimes mm -hmm. people hold things to their chest meaning like I just like I have to hold it in not tell anyone my secrets and I'm like well let's share it and let's mm. actually get more people more occupational therapists with the uh, opportunities with you know, yeah. building their careers, advancing their skills. And I can only help so many people in the South mm -hmm. Florida area. But when I help occupational therapists around the world, uh, those therapists help everyone else in their community. And uh -huh. 100%. it's just a bigger, it's bigger impact. So. Well, and I guess, I mean, I've tried to make the case because I'm like, I want more occupational therapists in general and certified hand therapists to actively, you know, seek people with rheumatoid arthritis because, and psoriatic, you know, um, and so I'll just be like, Hey, from, I mean, I, I don't know if this is like crass to say, but like from a business perspective, like you're missing out on money for people that could be, you know, so I'm like both sides of like the patients are missing out on the care that they deserve yeah. and the providers, yeah. if nothing else, like, you know, seek out this population from the goodness of your heart, but also from the fact that, you know, it could help your, you know, business be viable. And just because you're not yeah. seeing as many patients with rheumatoid arthritis post, you know, hand surgery doesn't mean that there's not a lot of patients who have significant functional yeah. deficits. I yes. hear it every day. People are, yes. can't perform their basic activities of daily living. Yeah. They don't understand how to protect their hands and yeah. um, need help. So my, yeah. uh, you know, as someone who's been in business yeah, uh, and I've seen other people in business, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, I think that as a business owner, the only thing that we could do is say that we are here, that we have this specialty, or we have mm -hmm. this ability to help XYZ. I have the ability to help you. I have the, the intimate knowledge, the experience that if you are someone with rheumatoid arthritis, any form of arthritis, and you want to get rid of pain, you want to uh, be more active, and you want to avoid surgeries in the future, then I can help you. So from a business standpoint, I'm here. And mm -hmm. I think to a certain extent, I have to be here and make myself visible so that people in my community can find me. And that's mm -hmm. how people have found me. 
That's awesome. Because surgeons will send to their own therapist, not necessarily mm -hmm. the best therapist. Surgeons will send to, or doctors will send to people based on their own assumption, mm -hmm. not no assumption. Right, right, right. And then right. people have their own limitations of like self-inflicted limitations. I am a one clinic location and you have to be willing to drive to my clinic and where I'm located in Miami, Florida, I'm, I'm in this uh, municipal called Doral and it's mm -hmm. very close to the airport central to mm -hmm. Miami. But people are willing to drive to me from all areas of Miami because we are specialized and we provide a particular level of care in a yeah. particular way that they cannot get elsewhere. Right, right. So right. the person has to be willing to make the effort to come. Right. They also right. have to be willing to pay because, again, we are not an in-network facility because mm -hmm. if we were an in-network facility we might function like every other place where you might have already been unhappy with yeah we I... have to provide a a premium level of care mm -hmm. that is unmatched and they can still maybe can they still submit reimburse for reimbursement absolutely too? yes Absol submit the super absolutely bill. there's different ways in which we work with people but i think that from a point of view of if you have rheumatoid arthritis, mm -hmm. if you have already tried in network, if you have already tried these type of meal places where I don't know how it is in Washington or around the world, but uh, you are, you might be sitting in places where you are there, like the patient to therapist ratio is not conducive to oh. you getting yeah, the, uh, the care. care and the, you know, being able to hit the goals that you want, right? right, right. Not every therapist 100%. is willing to put into, pour into themselves to learn about rheumatoid arthritis, mm -hmm. to develop the skills that are necessary to work with people of various stages of rheumatoid arthritis because you're going to have everyone who comes in at every stage and every person looks completely different even if you fall into a particular pattern of deformities right right so right. the two have to coincide and match right, in order right. to um in order for it to work so mm -hmm. so yeah i would that's why i say like you know, as someone like you who advocate advocates for people with rheumatoid arthritis and people with, you know, any type of arthritis that are chronic in nature, uh, you advocate for them, right. and you talk in a way that helps them to one keep a mindset open, but educate them at the same time. And you have this platform that you provide someone like me who comes on and and has an ability to reach even more people that I don't normally reach. Right, right. Well, I'm I'm really grateful that you took the time today. This is awesome. Um I like the we covered a lot of the things we planned on but also um 
went on some interesting roads. I think all roads eventually do lead to mental health for me, at least, you know, because we are feeling human feeling beings, you know, yeah. but, um, so I'm really glad we were able to address that. Cause a lot of times when people think of hand therapy, they think of just the hand, but as you said the hand is connected to the rest of the body. Every, <laughs> every person. Every yeah. Person. So connected to the person. Yeah. To the person yeah. and their life and what's important to them. And yeah. so thank you so much. And um, thank you. I look forward to seeing people's questions if they have any follow-up questions. Yeah. So thanks right. again. Bye-bye for now. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.